for all those up Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. In it goes! Oh, it's gone in! Richard left foot in! What a volley! It's the stuff of champions! It's the stuff of dreams! And Donate races it on goal and Donate! Okay, welcome to episode 59 of Together, a Brighton & Hove Albion podcast. Uh, it is international break week, so we all know that I try and find somebody to interview uh, during the international break. And this week is someone I've been uh, wanting to get in touch with for a while. Um, I just hadn't got around to it. So uh, he's a gentleman that has definitely been uh, popular across the Twitter hashtag, Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, I have Liam on from Albion Analytics. Uh, Liam, how are you doing? I'm very thank you very well. Pleasure to be on podcast. Yeah, good, perfect. I'm I'm delighted to have you. Um, so I'm assuming, obviously, uh, with the amount of research you do and the amount of work mm-hmm. you're doing on that Twitter account, you are an Albion fan. One hundred percent. Yes, one hundred percent. So, how are you feeling so far this season? Then, um, on the whole, I'm very happy. Um, mostly because we're currently seven points clear of the bottom of three. For me, is still our first goal. Um, so that's excellent to, to be that far clear. So I'm trying to maintain. Uh, delighted to see some youth break through. Aaron Connolly and Steven Azarte. Be excellent and speaks for of uh, our academy, uh, which has been doing really well. Um, I'm perhaps not as um, elated as everyone else is. Um, I'm, I'm quite a negative person on the whole. Um, so I've been a bit frustrated by our tactical naivety recently. Um, I wasn't a massive fan on Saturday when we set up uh, with a back four and had Dan Byrne against Dan James and uh, Montour against Anthony Martial. Um, but no, overall, um, I think we've, we've been we've been quite good. Um, definitely starting to see some progress. So, yeah, very happy so far. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, in the last episode, I covered the game, and I, I've said the exact mm-hmm. same things as you just did then. Uh, I thought the back four was uh, a bad decision. I thought that yeah, I agree. really Potter's first real big tactical mishap, I thought, this weekend. I, I'd agree with you. I think um, he set up for that recently. And, it, and to give him a lot of credit, it did work against Spurs when he set up for that back four the first time he changed it. Um, although I was very conscious of speaking to other people, I was saying to them, it's quite difficult to judge that Spurs game based on tactics and formation. All right, goal. I've moved nearer to my Wi-Fi and we'll see if it improves it or Okay, not. fantastic. Let's see. Um, yes, so... Back four did work against Tottenham, definitely. Um, I think you're right. It's definitely taken a bit of a downturn since he's started to push it. Um, Quite quite possibly. uh, Tell us about your uh, your Albion origin story. So um, when did you first start to support them? What was your first game? Any memories that you want to talk about? Anything you want to put in here, really? Um, just, Just give us a kind of rundown of where you started with the Albion. Okay, fantastic. Well, f- from birth, I was I was thrust into um into an Albion sort of, of baby group. So I was I was made to be a seagull from early on. Uh, the first game that I believe I went to was Spurs when they beat Brighton two one in two thousand five. Uh, we wore that mustard yellow kit uh, that you might have seen some photos of. Um, and Richard Carter 
sort of kick that day. Um, well, I believe I was in the Spurs end actually because uh, my, my mother is uh, a Tottenham fan. Um, first game I really went to it was when we beat Wickham 5 2. That was my Glenn Murray scored four that day, including a bicycle kick. Um, that's the only game I remember uh, back in sort of you know the, the League One days. Uh, and the, the best memory I've had so far following Brighton, I've had a lot in the last few years to be fair. Um, for me, beating United at home uh, on that Friday night to keep to keep ourselves in the Premier League, for me it was perfect. We've been we've been written off at the start of the season um, by so many teams, so many pundits, so many fans. Um, so it's excellent, you know, that we um, survival. Um, and I'd, I'd never seen the Amex rocking like that. It was absolutely excellent. Yeah, I took the day off back over here for the Man United game. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so I, <laughs> I was only able to watch it on the TV. But yeah, it was it was some performance. It was electric. Uh, to finish yeah. off the season. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So onto onto the main thing, really, and that's the mm-hmm. Twitter account you have going. Um, yes. So like I said, it has definitely been kind of roundly praised wherever I go. Um, you know, North Stand Chat the massive forum mm-hmm. that Albion has. Uh, they have mm-hmm. an entire topic about you, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. The hashtag on the BHAFC hashtag, uh, obviously mm-hmm. you get a lot of praise on there. Um, and even in one of my big WhatsApp groups I'm a part of, uh, you're regularly linked in there. Um, so what made you start the whole account? Uh, it's an excellent question. And here's where I might might lose a, a fair bit of popularity. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was someone who uh, always backed Chris Hughton. Um Right until the end, when he when he was sacked, I felt. Um, although I've come around to it more that his, his sacking was probably a bit bit more bit more justified with our form. I felt he wasn't given the credit he deserved by the club in being sacked so quickly. Didn't really felt he get a send off. Um, but I saw a lot of people as soon as it happened were sort of throwing these opinions out around him, saying, "Oh, he's he's not um, he's not good enough for this league. He's a, he's a dinosaur." Um, and I thought, well, I, I want to have a look into some some numbers and stuff surrounding this. I thought I didn't think that was that was true for the majority of it. So I started looking into some stats around us. Um, and another one, uh, a real Marmite player, Dale Stevens. Um, a lot of people have a lot of conceptions around him. It was another player that I wanted to sort of look into. So it, it was really just a case I wanted to defend some individuals that that I really liked. Um, started looking into some stats and it sort of just took off from there, really. Um, as I do a bit of goalkeeper analysis as well. And from doing that, I've learned that there's a lot of statistics that you wouldn't expect to come up and a lot of people have got preconceived opinions that don't necessarily manifest in, no, in numerical terms so I really just want to try and educate um, the rest of the Brighton fans to give them some numbers that they can use <clears throat> in their um, sort of in their opinions of players or when they're discussing matches and say oh I think this player is really good because he does xyz so many times a game and yeah that was that was the main aim just to formulate opinions a bit better. That's pretty cool. Um, for somebody who obviously started the account uh, with a with obviously a little bit of bias in mind, you come of across course. incredibly unbiased. So I mean, credit to you. Um, I would never have known that you were in any way kind of pro Hutton or anti Hutton or you know any of that stuff. So uh, you do a really good job of kind of hiding your own bias and really just delivering the numbers. So kudos to you on that. Um, you come across. Well, thank you. I think incredibly it's incredibly uh, think- neutral. I think it's thing that because numbers themselves are completely unbiased, um, it is why that you, you can take an opinion from a player in a game. Um, I like to after each game occurs where certain sign-up players are numerical terms and numbers on their own aren't biased. It's how you interpret those numbers. Um, and I, I get a lot of people who will tweet me and say, "Oh, have you got a stat regarding this, this, uh, this, this, and this?" And I'll say, "Yeah," and I'll just throw the numbers back at them um, because for me, this, the account isn't there to, to push my agendas. It's there to 
uh, give information out to other Brighton fans, which is something I feel I've done so far, which is, is really the, the main benefit. Because like everyone else, I'm a fan. I, I go to as many games as I can do. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just want people to, to sort of understand some, some more information, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And it's it's one of the reasons I wanted you on so badly is because when mm-hmm. I do my post-match uh, reviews, I try and focus on the numbers prior to giving my opinion. Okay. Um, yes. like I'll, I'll give my own two cents at the end of it, but of I course. do try and focus on the match stats and why people were good or weren't bad. Because uh, you Indeed. see a lot of people online, you know, Montoya had a nightmare and it's like, okay, he had eight key passes today. Like, what, yes, <laughs> you yeah. know, he's, yeah. he obviously uh, wasn't as bad as you thought he was. So, it makes it even, even better. Yes. Um, so yeah. now I know because I, I do a lot of it myself, but what do you, what's your favorite uh, stat website that makes your uh, hobby, your your account so much easier to use? There's a couple of really good ones out there um, in, in terms of what I think I should I'm encourage other people to use. There's an app called StatZone that I use. Uh, it costs £4 for the entire season, and it's honestly absolutely perfect. It's the best value for money thing I've ever purchased in my life. Um they, they will literally give you, it's all data from Optus, it's all really reliable stuff, um, and a lot of the graphics that I use will come from there. Uh, you can look at pass maps for players, shot maps, um, literally absolutely everything, take-ons. You, you think of a metric, it's most probably in there, um, and you can get breakdowns for individual players, different times in the game, whatever. There's also a great website that I'm using more nowadays uh, called Understat, which is a little bit more complex, looks at your things more like expected goals, um, sort of players' involvement, so a lot more numerical stuff, um, and provides good maps and stuff on that. Whereas if you're looking at wanting to see more visual stuff uh, to perhaps have an idea of what length passes someone's making or what direction they're making passes, that's that zone. But I'd recommend both really, really highly. Nice. Um, I'm going to throw a question that you weren't, didn't know was coming because this is just okay. a perfect segment to go to. Um, if you can, in as uh, mm-hmm. many words as you need, could you explain to the common man what XG means? Because there's a oh, lot of fantastic. it going around. Um, yes, I and I do. know there's a lot of people that actually aren't quite sure what it means. So if I you want to have at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's a fantastic question to be asked. So the X stands for expected and don't know why it's an X rather than an E. Cannot answer that question. Uh, but anything that... So expected goals is a metric where what they've done is taken historical data. I don't know what the sample stuff is from, um, what years it's from, whatever. Uh, but they've looked at all the different possible... Uh, goals or shots that have been taken or scored um, from certain uh, criteria. So they look at distance from goal, the angle to the goal, number of defenders between the the player uh, taking the shot and the goalkeeper. And there's a few other metrics in there that they use to basically determine the probability. So expected goals is always a percentage out of one. So if something's 0.33 expected goals, there's a 33% chance of it going in. Uh, the highest, I believe, you'll see usually for expected goals it's around 79% for a penalty, as that's the average rate that they're scored at, uh, just, just below four out of five. Um, and the, the crucial thing with expected goals, um, which I didn't understand at first, is that they use generalised data. So it, the perfect benefit of that is that uh, if you looked at someone like, I'll use, I'll use a Palace example here. Um, I know that won't be very popular, but just as a good example, Luka Milovic, who scores lots of penalties. If you were to individualise expected goals and say, Oh, because he scores those penalties, the probability of him scoring should be higher. What you end up doing is starting to take a regression towards the mean and say, oh, well, then he should be scoring 100% of penalties. Uh, but if he scores all of his penalties in his career and the average is 80%, you'd say, oh, he's much better than average penalty taker. So it basically looks at the likelihood of someone scoring uh, and then puts it into a numerical term. Uh, one key point with it is that if a team has an attack uh, and they have a shot, 
that shot might be parried or there's a rebound, there's a follow-up shot. How many follow-up shots there are, I believe the toast expected goals will never be more than one, as obviously if you were to score one of those goals, a follow-up shot wouldn't occur. So hopefully I've explained that as best that I can. Um, probably more words than needed, but I think that just about covers it, to be honest with you. No, I think that's perfect. And if other people have questions, they can slide in your DMs. They, they can do indeed. There, <laughs> and and just, just to build on that as well, in regards to expected assists, another great metric uh, yes. is literally the expected goals value in result of whatever pass that a player makes. So if Pascal Gross passes to Neil Mapai or crosses to him and Mapai's uh, shot is got a 60% chance of going in, maybe he's closer towards the goal. Um, Pascal Gross's expected assist that would be 0.6 because that's the value of the shot. It's just... Just the reverse of that, basically. Perfect. I think you've nailed it. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, next question. Uh, mm-hmm. You do a lot of this stat stuff. I know we're only 12 games in. Um, yep. But what has been your favourite stat or your favourite piece of analysis of the season so far? Um, it can be more than one. Um, and, you know, it can be any... Re- you can fit your criteria how you want it. Just something that's really interesting. Uh, a reason for optimism. Anything you want. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a big reason for optimism... Um, would be the fact that we've been for a long time been underachieving our uh, expected goals, which a lot of people say, well, what does that even mean? Um, but basically means that with all the chances that we're having, we're effectively being quite wasteful in front of goal. Um, and the, the takeaway you take from that is that, yes, that could occur over a full season, but the likelihood of that occurring is very low. You'd expect the team uh, to more or less mirror their expected goals over the course of a season, uh, which we've started to do more now, where we've started actually overachieving, I think, against Everton. Um, given there was no goal in there, which obviously doesn't have an expected goals value. Uh, and there's a penalty as well, but we only had a sort of one or two expected goals. So we're starting to get close to that now, uh, which is perhaps more of a reflection of how we've played so far. Uh, a real favourite statistic of mine, I know a lot of people talk down about counter-attacking football, uh, speak a lot about this open play, wanting to really build up from the back. Uh, there's a really good book I'd recommend anyone to read by Christoph Beerman. Uh, it's called Football Hackers, The Science and Art of a Data Revolution. Uh, and he broke down, I think this is from one season in the Premier League, the conversion rates of certain attacking methods. Open play had 8.26% of uh, attacks and shots returning in goals. Corners was 8.97, so a little bit higher. Free kicks was 4.82, so roughly about half. Counter-attacking led the way by a considerable amount with almost 15%, 14.87% of attacks. So now a lot of people say, oh, it, it's ugly football, it's boring, it's negative. At the end of the day, it... it does get your results, it is more likely to. And this is perhaps why this season uh, we're perhaps starting to shift a few more chances, concede um, a lot of goals in the counter attack uh, or a lot of chances from it because we're trying to play this expansive style. Uh, we showed it against United where you do get hit, your defence is massively disjointed and teams can exploit that, hence why the uh, conversion rate is so high. Yeah, I think that just on the eye test too, like with what you're saying there, like you can see that although we do play a lot of expansive build-up and all that mm-hmm. good stuff, like a lot of our goals, especially against like the bigger teams, they're coming from counter-attacks ourselves. Indeed, yeah, I mean, indeed. You look at those goals against Everton, the ones against Spurs, the ones against of Watford course. at the beginning of the season. So, yeah. you know, it, it. I think that Potter understands it and wants to try and mix it up, um, which is of nice because he obviously, I feel like he has about, you know, people say that there's no plan A or plan B. I feel like Potter has about 18 plans right now. I do feel like there's um, a lot of plans, which which is a good thing. Yeah, it's it's Definitely fantastic. Um I had another question and I lost it. Uh, That's okay. Counter-attacking football. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 
I can't remember. That's um, right. So, so who has been uh, your best player so far? Whether you want to take into account stats or whether you just want to give your own opinion, who who's been your player of the season so far? Um, I'll give you sort of a unranked top three, as I find it quite hard to just pinpoint individuals when everyone plays a different position, plays a different role. What's so, like what sometimes really well might not seem as important. Um, and I'll, I'll chuck in a bit of stats as well. So for me, uh, the the top two. Gross for me, I'm, I'm heavily biased towards Pascal Gross, hey, someone I've, I've always liked since we signed him. Um, he, Him and Leo Trossard, uh, another one of my favourites, are, are leading the way uh, from a chance creation perspective. Um, I believe, looking at it's a really great account on Twitter, I'd encourage everyone to follow, uh, called The Other 14. It basically looks at stats, but it excludes all the, the big six sides, um, which is really fantastic, as obviously being a smaller club, we're often ignored by uh, bigger stats accounts. Him and uh, Gross and Trossard leading the way. Uh, they're both creating sort of over three chances um, each game. Uh, and in regards to that as a stat chance creation, um, potentially a bit flawed is basically, I believe, what they define as creating a chance is any pass that leads to a shot. Um, so you've obviously got to consider that it might be a two-yard pass that leads to a shot from 40 yards is still technically a chance created. Um, and Adam Webster for me as well, been absolutely excellent uh, as a ball progressor. Showed it against Burnley and the build up to Mapai's goal. Uh, can't talk to run with the ball. Uh, for me, he fits into Potter's mould perfectly. It's obviously a reason that he bought him in. Uh, but those two for me have been been the top top three players. Obviously, two of those are new signings. Uh, and excellent for me to see Pascal Rose, someone who on Twitter over the summer was branded as, oh, he's not going to fit this Potter dynamic. Um, I said I could see him slotting into that wide right role on the front three excellently. And he's, he's done just that. So they're probably my, my top three. Great list, in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you. I've Thank been you. Uh, I have been massively biased towards Pascal Gross this season too, because mm-hmm. you know, like you, well, you know more than anyone. His numbers are just outrageous. Oh, they're, they're disgustingly good. Yeah, for, for I mean, three million pounds. Him, just by watching him, you can see mm-hmm. the the impact he has. Um, the yeah. other thing I was going to bring up is that it's funny that. Uh, a lot of teams, a lot of fans rather, do still have that idea against counter-attacking football as, as yeah. like an ugly type of game. Mm-hmm. And yet, Leicester won the league with it three or four years Le- ago. Leicester did, yeah. Um, <laughs> Mourinho's made a career off of, of doing that with teams and, and winning titles. So, I, I think the, the biggest thing for me, right, that I found when, when we had Hughes as manager for the the what, the what three years or so um, from getting promoted from the championship and the, the first sort of year and a half, if you like, in, in the Prem. And when we were doing really well, uh, it was, it's that last sort of few months um, that have tainted it a bit. Everyone was happy, everyone was content. No one was brand that's boring football because if, if you're getting results and you're succeeding, no one really cares how you're playing. Like we went to teams and might have one or two shots on goal, but if you're winning games, no one really cares. At the end of the day, you go, oh, but, but we won. So you're not as bothered about it. It's when you start losing games and people go, oh, now I'm drawing an issue with the system because football is a sport. Uh, is massively results driven um, and that's where football fans and this is myself included that we are quite naive because there's a massive massive outcome bias in the sense everything's judged on results that you can have as much of the ball as you want you can have 99% possession but if you don't come up winning the game you go well we didn't do enough so yeah that's that's the bill and end of the end of the day yeah that's entirely fair um so I know we're only 12 games in still a long way to go mm-hmm. um but how do you see Albion finishing in the Premier League this year I think, again, we still need to be realistic. Uh, we, we've had a good start. Uh, we've perhaps dropped some points in games where we shouldn't have. Uh, but I'd be happy with anything outside the bottom three, to be honest with you. Um, possibly somewhere 12th to 16th, try and improve a bit from last season. Uh, again, that target of 40 points should be 
front and you know center of, of all of our minds of if, if we I know there's a lot of talk about oh going to Europe and stuff but we, we've got to keep ourselves up I know, I know Leicester did this when they won the league uh, as you've already mentioned where they uh Ranieri still spoke about um oh needing to hit 40 points and then you know we, we keep ourselves up then, then we push on anything above survival um is is a massive bonus for me uh, as we showed as last season showed us that Perhaps you know you, you go in with the mentality of oh we've we've done this already you might start to struggle uh, so yeah happy they're outside the bottom three um, and and anything above that for me is is a real bonus yeah wholeheartedly agree with you Potter's first year uh, I think it's entirely fair to have you yeah. know those low expectations because anything Indeed. more than that is great I wouldn't even go as far as say it's low I think it's more a case of of being realistic to be honest with you and it wouldn't do Potter any good for us to go in and say okay we want to be mid table. He has spent a lot of money on a lot of new signings, which might take time to gel. Uh, I don't like the word massively, but it is, is a bit of a transition process, which I know other clubs are coming in with now as well. Um, there's perhaps got the advantage of there being quite a few teams down there this year looking at regards to survival, like so Newcastle maybe struggling a bit more. Watford seem that they've really been dragged into it this year. Same with Southampton. Um, you've obviously got Norwich stuff in there as well. So I know a lot of people said last season, oh, we only stayed up because there were three teams worse than us, but it will be the same thing this year that we'll stay up if we get enough points to stay up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think I do I came into the season actually thinking that it may well be uh like the closest Premier League in a long time. And it started out that way. It but did indeed. The last couple of games there really has been that gap drawn out with Watford and Norwich. Yeah. So fingers crossed it's not a case that there's just three teams worse than us. It's just that there's three very bad teams. <laughs> I never, never believe though that we stayed up last season because there were three teams worse than us. So I said that we, you can look at it on the flip side. There's three teams worse than you or we played well enough to get more points than three teams. So it's it's a, it's a flip side really. It's, it's the same argument that, oh, City won the league last year because Liverpool ended up slipping up. You know, or did they get enough points? So you always need a, uh, <clears throat> a balance of both. Otherwise, your argument is, oh, we should be winning every game because otherwise we're going to be reliant on other teams. But that's, that's football. Is, is You do your bit and rely on other teams as well to slip up and, and you'll, be, you'll be more than OK. Yeah, entirely fair. Um, one last one for you. The hot topic that uh, has been rampaging through Indeed. Uh, everything across the Premier League this <laughs> yes. year. Um, how do you feel about VAR? VAR, for me, is an excellent concept that's been pretty poorly executed thus far. Um, a lot of it is to do with the time issues. Um, I believe if you're using the term clear and obvious, which they've chucked about so much, uh, something that's clear and obvious isn't going to take you more than 30 to 40 seconds to pick up. So they need to prevent a time restriction for me. And the sport that I feel they should take a lot from uh, is cricket. Um, in regards to a review system, I think they've made a big issue in trying to perfect everything and say, we're going to get every decision right. Uh, I think they should do what they do in cricket, and this works really well, is teams are given reviews. Now, if they think the decision is wrong from the referee, uh, they've got a time period, I believe it's 10 seconds, um, to review that decision. Uh, when that review occurs, uh, there's, a, there's a certain like level of um, certain criteria to tick for how many errors there were from, from, the, uh, from the umpire to overturn that decision. Uh, if they get the decision correct in the sense that it should be overturned to change their favour, they keep the review. If it's not, then uh, they lose their review. So I think they should bring that in uh, takes all the emphasis away from from the referees. Is if you know you don't have to perfect everything. And the the prime example was uh, when we played West Ham, and uh, I can't remember who scored. It might have been Dunk or one of the centre backs, um, and there was an offside in the build up, um, and they overturned it. But no one no one appealed for it. So I think in trying to perfect it, they've they've gone too far and should just just let it, let the element of human error exist. Um, 
because if teams don't think it's an issue, then they wouldn't appeal for it. Uh, doesn't need to try and be be overturned. Uh, and the prime example when that happened in cricket was when England played Australia uh, in the most recent Ashes series. Uh, they wasted a review with a couple of overs left trying to get the last wicket. Uh, I believe this was was when Ben Stokes had had that famous innings. Um, they then lost their review, uh, and then a very controversial LBW didn't get given, uh, and we ended up going on to, to win the game, uh, which would obviously reflect well in football. Uh, and at the end of the day, not a lot of people criticised the umpire. They said, well, Australia also shouldn't have wasted their review. So you put a lot of emphasis back onto the players, which I think is what they need to do with VAR, because at the minute, everything, especially the referees, they're taking a lot of stick for it, for a concept which is a good idea. They've just executed it absolutely dreadfully thus far. Yeah, I think you've uh, I think you've put it really well. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Uh, there's also, um, I was looking at, obviously being over here, uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff from the NFL they could take from it too. Indeed. With, uh, I mean, the NFL and cricket have a very similar um, challenge system. So yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that there's definitely worth in looking at some kind of challenge system like 100%. that. And like you said, like ten seconds to do it, and then a thirty-second review period, and then yep. on with the game. You know, it shouldn't yep. be three and minutes. That's, that's, le- that's less than a minute, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's less than a minute. Um, and if, if a team's not appealing for something, you can say, well, it might have been an issue, but if you're, you're not appealing for it, then at the end of the day, no one's going to blame your, you, the referee. They'll say, oh, why didn't, why didn't the captain review it? That sort of thing, yeah. I think it's excellent. Yeah. Wicked. Well, Liam, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you. We can find you at Albion Analytics on You can Twitter. do on Twitter, indeed. Do you have any other social media? Uh, I don't currently at the minute. No, n- not from that perspective. Uh, might be something I look, look out to branch out in the future, but... but uh, currently at the minute it's just just on the twitter so please go over there ha- have a look at some of the stuff likewise if there if there's anything people would like to see stats wise or thread wise certain graphics please do try and let me know i'll do my best to get whatever i can out to you because at the end of the day it's it's a platform to show people what they want it's i'm not here to to push agendas um i'm here to try and provide for the albion faithful brilliant thank you again so much for your time today mate thank you i appreciate it so, once again, thank you to Liam uh, from Albion Analytics for coming on the show. Uh, it was a great interview. Um, some really good information there. Anybody who wants to get in on the stat game, uh, you know, it isn't a monopoly. Um, I'm sure that, you know, the more numbers, the better from everybody. Uh, also, definitely highly encourage the other 14. Um, I've retweeted them quite a few times, so you may well have... Uh, seen them before um they're a really good website to or rather twitter account to follow uh the other 14 do a great job uh with their stats and analysis of the teams outside of the top six um and of course uh we have a couple of other things that happened during the international break um so we had our very our next uh game at the annex for albion women um and they actually got their first win of the season um this week uh, well this weekend actually just now um they played uh, and they beat birmingham city uh, ladies uh, three nothing um 4100 came out at the amex uh, great turnout in my opinion um just looking at the averages throughout the uh, women's league uh, that's a that's a really good that's a really good amount of people to show up um glad that they could come home, come in and see a see a win of all things right uh, always nice to see that happen um and you know i hope that i hope that we do get more and more games at the amex i think that not only is it great to have them back in brighton um i just like the fact that 
they can they can come to the Amex and they, they still sell tickets. Um, and I think that's great. So well done to the Albion women. Uh, good way to get their uh, three points off the mark. Um, and then, of course, talking of three points, uh, Stephen Alzate um, actually made his senior Columbia debut this weekend um, with a 1-0 win over Peru on Friday night. Uh, not sure whether that was just in a friendly or whether they have um, qualifiers themselves. I'll be honest, I haven't looked into it, which is just terrible from me. Um, but, uh, you know, he came on, I believe he came on as a substitute on about 73 minutes, uh, replaced one Cuadrado. Uh, it was a friendly. It took place in Miami. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too far away from me to make it. Uh but, you know, great day out for Steven Alzate. Um, huge for him. Uh, you know, two two years ago, he was playing for Leighton Orient, um, hoping to maybe break his way into the team at the Albion in a couple of years' time. And now he has. He's playing regular Premier League football. Um, and he's now making his debut for Colombia, um, a team that is, you know, renowned for being a pretty good one uh, on the international stage. So well done, Steven Alzate. Um, hopefully that's the first of many to come. Although, you know, on the other frame, uh, on the other side of the coin, maybe not because, uh, we've, we've had two injuries, uh, pop up in the last couple of days. Uh, Aaron Connolly never got to go with the Ireland squad. Looks like he picked up a knock in the United game, um, and has been unavailable for Ireland. And then of course the biggest one, um, Leandro Trossard recalled back to Belgium um, and immediately injured on duty with them. Uh, I'm not sure what it is Roberto Martinez is doing out there, um, but he's a dick because he's just getting Trossard injured all the time. Um, I, something has got to be vastly different in the way that he trains as opposed to the way that we train at the Albion um, because it's absolutely insane to see the amount of... Uh, time it took for leo to pick up an injury again at belgium um you know it looks like it could be anywhere from three to four weeks which takes him out all the way up until christmas um which is a huge blow for us you know after these uh, after these next few of course we have leicester arsenal and liverpool um but once we get through with liverpool we have three games then on the bounce that we need to take points from um wolves palace uh, and sheffield united so it's it's a huge blow to us we are looking to be without aaron Connolly, without leandro trossard and of course adam webster is still out for an undetermined amount of time um brutal absolutely brutal uh not great we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I think that, honestly, I think that this, this January needs to be Tony Bloom's busiest one yet. Um, I know he has spent a bit of money on players for Potter in the close season, Mopai, Webster, and a couple of others. But with the amount of outgoings we had, um, I think we undoubtedly need to continue to invest. Um, and they simply have to spend some money in January. Uh, I know Bloom is loath to do it throughout the uh, January transfer window, but he's going to have to get his checkbook out because we have a lot of holes that need filling. Um, and it's not great when one injury or two injuries can leave you with nobody really um, able to step in and help out. So uh, it's going to be a big, big January window for the Albion. I think, um, you know, I think we are playing well enough to not be too deep and deep in trouble. Um, but still, you know, you never know with the amount of people we're getting hurt. So we'll see. Um, hopefully it's not as bad as first feared and Trossard is ready uh, earlier than projected. Um, but you never know with Albion injuries. Uh, for those of you following the Leeson.com uh, trophy, something we covered a couple of weeks ago, Albion 
lost to Leighton Orient a couple of weeks ago uh, during the Ajax Chelsea debacle, uh, but they still qualified anyway. They are at home in round two at the under 23s to Newport County. So anybody fancies uh, getting a bit of a throwback um, to the days of when we were down in those sort of lower leagues, League Two, League One, uh, it's a great day to do it. Uh, and one more thing I'd want to cover um, before we kind of wrap up today, um, because obviously the majority of it was the interview. Um, apologies for any of the audio issues we had, of course, for the interview. Um, that first five minutes was a bit rough. Um, but, you know, if you made it through the first five, it cleans up. And uh, Liam was a great guest. Uh, I'd be delighted to have him on and hope to have him on um, at the end of the year to cover a lot of the stats that we hit. Um, but last thing to cover is Ben White. Um, ben White is getting an awful lot of press um, at Leeds. Looks like he's pretty much almost nailed on as a contender for their player of the season. Um, he's been an absolute monster for them. Uh, a lot of rumors that they're going to try and do a loan to buy or some kind of buy option in January. Uh, I hope that we say absolutely not. Um, he's someone we should be keeping and progressing through into the main team, I hope. Uh, so fingers crossed that's going to be what happens. Um, just wanted to shout out Ben White there because I feel like we've not talked about him much on the podcast. Um, so, you know, great stuff, dude. Keep going. <laughs> um, you are, however much I don't like Leeds, you are their best player. And that means that I'm all about Ben White. So good for him. Um, also, if anybody has a, a theme that they would like us to do uh, this year, uh, this year, this week coming up for kind of a where are they now? Let us know. Um, I'm considering maybe Spanish Flair, uh, Lower League Heroes, Premier League Lonies. Um, so hit me up. Let me know. Uh, I'm going to po- put a poll out there tomorrow. Um, let me know what you think. And we will uh, get together for another where are they now segment. Um, but that's about it from me this week. So have an excellent week prior to the uh, the big game of the weekend. Home to Leicester, big one. We can uh, we can expect a point, I reckon. So we'll see. Hopefully, I'm not coming on here when we've been beaten eight nothing. Uh, but have a great week. See you next weekend. Be safe. <laughs>